Welcome to the podcast of Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we study the word. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you guys for joining me this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of First Kings. So if you guys have your Bibles with me, you can turn with me to First Kings chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to the end of chapter 20, as well as chapter 21. And just a quick summary of what we've been studying, or what we studied last week. Uh, we ended with Ahab taking victory away from God, uh, remembering that he had... Uh, God had allowed victory over the Syrians twice, um, and in the end, Ahab took the victory away by making a treaty with Ben-Hadad. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the consequences of him doing so, as well as we're going to be looking at um, judgment upon him for for more evil actions that he does. But before we jump in, uh, let's pray, and then we'll... We'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this chance that we have to come together and study your word, Lord. And uh, I just pray that as we go through this study, Lord, that you'll give us ears ready to hear what you have to speak to us. Lord, help us to change what is needed to be changed. Uh, Yeah, and Lord, help us to learn from the mistakes that Ahab makes here this morning. Lord, I pray this on your name. Amen. So, Starting off in verses 35 through 38 of 1 Kings chapter 20, it says, Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with the bandage over his eyes. So the first thing we see here is there's a certain man that comes in. So who is this man? Now, I do not believe that this is the same prophet because it is he is a prophet. I don't believe it is the same prophet who gave the word of the Lord last week concerning the multiple victories over Ben-Hadad. Um, it, it seems just that this is a different prophet. Um, but because we are never given a name for either of these prophets, either time, it's let's not rule it out completely. All we know for certain about this prophet is that he is a man, and he's a part of the sons of the prophets. Which leads us to the second question. Who are the sons of the prophets? Just to list a couple of thoughts here, there's two different um, trains of thought. The first one is that these men were, were a group who studied under the prophets. The idea is that Samuel, he established schools throughout Israel um, to be trained in the law of Moses and in the other teachings of the prophets. That's the first thought. The second one is that they were the priests and Levites who are hidden by Obadiah. That one is is more unlikely. I, I tend to lean more towards it 
these were the men who studied under the prophets because you're still in the time period of the prophets. So, sons of prophets studied under the prophets. I also want to point out that this is the first time that the sons of the prophets are mentioned. They will be mentioned more as we get into Second Kings and into the ministry of Elisha, but right here is the first, uh, first mention of them. Now, I love what Guzik said on this. He said, This is another reminder that the 7,000 faithful followers of Yahweh were active in Israel. When you got the sons of the prophets, you've got the prophets, right? You have all these men, and there's, and of course, the priests and the Levites who were not bowed. So it's a, it's a good reminder that this is still to come. So, uh, moving on from who they are and who the man is, um, we see that this prophet gives a word of the Lord. He says to his neighbor, strike me. The word neighbor here uh, is used here because this was likely not just a normal other man in Israel, but another prophet, like another of the sons of the prophets. Now what we see is that this prophet refuses to carry out the word of the Lord, and because of this, he is killed by a lion. So, the certain man, he hears from the Lord, he relays the message to his neighbor, who then denies this command from God. The command was not to murder the prophet, just to strike the prophet. There was no evil intent to it. He was just following the word of the Lord. The thing is that the other prophet didn't know why he was supposed to strike him. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because God had commanded it. It was the word of the Lord. And he was denying God. Now, in all reality, this injury was needed for a display that the prophet was going to bring forth to Ahab, representing where Ahab went wrong. That's the intent behind it. Right? But because this other prophet denied God, uh, denied God's command, he died. And God found a man who was willing to take the step of faith and listen to the command. So my question to you guys is, are you guys willing to follow what God commands? Right? Do you need all the information before you take the step of faith? Now, if you do then you're not really taking a step of faith anymore, are you? A step of faith is is you don't know what's coming next. It's like an analogy I like to use is when you're walking across, like you're in the forest, right? You're walking across a, a brook or a stream in the middle of the night, right? There's stepping stones and you have a flashlight. You don't look at the end because that's not going to help you, right? Oh, if I see the end, I'll know exactly which ways to step. No, you got to look at step by step where you're where you're going to get where you're going and you have to take those steps of faith right it's not a step of faith if you know what's going to happen right if you have all the information it's no longer a step of faith so are you willing to take those steps of faith right just like it says in second corinthians 5 7 we walk by faith not by sight right? We walk by faith. We need to trust in God and follow his will for our lives. 
Now, we see that after the second man struck him, that he departed and he waited for Ahab. Disguising himself with the bandages over his eyes, he was waiting, ready to give the message in verse 39 through 40, which says, Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. For while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. So this prophet, he tells Ahab a story about how a man told him to guard another man and that if this man was missing by the end of the battle, that his life would be for the other man's or he would have to pay money. Now, the way this prophet brings forth the message is similar to how many prophets brought messages. It's a similar style of bringing a message to bring a story to explain where you're going wrong. We see, um, looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1-4, through 4, we see Nathan confront David about Bathsheba. He says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and he, it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. All right, so that's the story that Nathan used to explain the meaning of a certain event to David, right? The whole, the hidden mess, there was a hidden message within that story, right? Like in David's case, we see that he stole Bathsheba from Uriah. In the kings of Israel, right, David, though it wasn't like it was frowned upon biblically in the law, he had many wives. He had exceedingly many wives, but he decided to take of the one man's wife and then killed Uriah. In the case of Ahab here, it isn't that he didn't, uh, it is that he didn't guard what was entrusted to him, right? That is the people of Israel. Instead, he made a treaty with the enemy, and for that, he will be judged Right? And as we continue looking at verses 41 through 43, we see God's rebuke. It says, And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and displeased, and came to Samaria. God had intended that Ben-Hadab be wiped out, utterly destroyed. But Ahab let him slip away, and now the destruction that was to be upon Ben-Hadad will come upon 
Ahab, and upon Israel. Syria will come back to bite them in the butt. Now, after hearing this rebuke, this uh, these consequences for his actions, he is, he leaves sullen and displeased. But notice, he was not repentant. He was sorrowful over the consequences of sin, but not over the sin itself. And that will be one of his downfalls. So my question to you guys is before we move on to chapter 21 is, are you guys sorrowful over the consequences of sin or over the sin itself? We must have the attitude of repentance, knowing that what we did is wrong and turning from it, not turning back to it, but continually turning from it, continually putting off the old man and being sorrowful over what we have done, the sins we have committed. So moving on, looking at the next chapter, chapter 21, we see that Ahab takes another turn for the worse. Starting in verses 1 through 3, it says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. So Ahab took, spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for it, for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you what it's worth, you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you, give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So, after everything we just went through in chap in uh, with the two victories over the Syrians, with the treaty of with Ben Hadad, the con and the consequences for making said treaty. We meet a man by the name of Naboth, who is a Jezreelite, right? He is an owner of a, a vineyard that is next to the palace of King Ahab. Now, Ahab, he sends word to Naboth, requesting that he give him the vineyard for a better vineyard or for what it is worth. It's a pretty simple request, right? There doesn't seem to be any forcing happening. It's like, I exercise kingly uh, authority here I am taking your land there is none of that all Ahab is asking is that it is asking is can I have the land can I have the vineyard that is next to my house and the answer is also pretty simple Naboth though it's simple he's emphatic saying no because he didn't want to give away the land of his father's inheritance one commentator put it this way his rejection of the otherwise reasonable offer was rooted in ancient Israel Israelite idea of the land. They believed that the land was an inheritance from God parceled out to individual tribes and families according to his will. Therefore, land was never really sold, only leased, and that only under the most dire circumstances. Naboth didn't want to sell his inheritance because it was God-given. And Ahab should have been fine with that. But that's not the reaction we see from Ahab. Looking at verses 4 through 7, it says, So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. And he had said, uh, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's 
and he lay down on his bed and turned his away his face and would not would eat no food but Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food so he said so he said to her because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you I will give you another vineyard for it and he answered I will not give you my vineyard then Jezebel his wife said to him you now exercise authority over Israel Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So, Ahab, he comes home. He leaves sullen and displeased. For the second time, he does this. This time it's because he was denied the request for a vineyard. The emphatic yet very reasonable answer given was not enough and it caused Ahab to be upset so much so that he did not eat Ahab being the king is 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 not used to getting uh, not getting what he wants right he's pretty used to getting what he wanted all the time and this time he doesn't get it so he vents and in doing so he vents to the wrong person Jezebel I don't have to explain who Jezebel is. She's you should know by now Jezebel is not a great person. Right? Jezebel comes in asking why he's not eating, and when she hears why, she immediately states that Ahab should have exercised his authority as king. Meaning she tells him he should have just taken it and not asked for it. Now that would work perfectly fine in the the pagan nations around them but in Israel that's not how that works but through her response it proves who wore the pants in the relationship or in other words who was really in charge of the kingdom and who was actually the puppet who was the puppet master Jezebel she tells Ahab don't worry about it I will get you the vineyard and as we move forward, we see her plan looking at verses 8 through 14. It says, And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles who were inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had sent them, sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men scoundrels came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, saying, against Naboth in the presence of the people saying Naboth has blasphemed God and the king they then took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died then they sent to Jezebel saying Naboth has been stoned and is dead so what we see is that she writes letters in Ahab's name and with his seal now I see two different scenarios here. 
The first one, Ahab knew what Jezebel was doing and approved of it. Second scenario is a similar scenario, a similar situation to what happened with Esther where Haman was given the royal seal to write whatever he wanted and uh, Xerxes did nothing about it or didn't know, played ignorance. Um, Ahab here gives the seal to Jezebel and basically tells Jezebel to write uh, whatever she wants without knowing what it is she's going to write. That's the second situation. Now, either way you you look at it, um, he's not innocent, right? Either way, he approves to a certain extent, and either way, it does not look good for him. Now, I lean more towards the second one where Ahab plays ignorance, and though he may be ignorant of what is going on, he's not innocent. Now, the letters... The letters state that the elders and nobles of Jezreel, where Naboth lived, were to proclaim a fast, seat Naboth on the high place, seat two scoundrels across from him, and have them bring accusation against Naboth to kill Naboth. Now that's quite the plan. Now something I notice in this plan is that the nobles and elders were corrupt because they knew every part of the plan. They knew that it was going to be false accusations brought, right? They knew that it was two corrupt men bringing false accusation against a good man to kill a good man. So they're corrupt and by no means innocent in this matter. Now, there are similarities here of the story here as well uh, with the story of Jesus when he was being brought before the Sanhedrin, right? The charges brought against Jesus were false, right? They claimed that Jesus proclaimed himself as God and that he offended God and Caesar. The same accusations are brought forth against Naboth, right? Both men were not guilty of the charges brought against them. Neither of the reasons, uh, and also, neither of the reasons why they wanted the person gone were just. Right? They wanted Jesus gone because they were hard-hearted and unwilling to change. Right? Jesus brought the truth, and they were denying the truth. Now, Naboth was murdered unjustly because Ahab wanted a vineyard next to his house. That's unjust. Ahab is evil. And he will get what is coming to him. But we will not gonna see we're not gonna be seeing that this morning, only the judgment that will be proclaimed on him. Now before we get moving on to this judgment, um, we actually see that Ahab takes the vineyard in verses fifteen through sixteen, which says, And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So, Ahab adds evil to evil by taking the land. First off, the land was still not his to take. Though Naboth was dead, it still belonged to Naboth's family and to, the, to Naboth's heir. 
Naboth is killed unjustly, and then his land is taken from his family. His inheritance is taken from his family. Simply, Ahab is evil. And the fact that no questions were asked about how Naboth died proved the fact that he sealed his own fate and that he was not innocent in the matter. What we see here is that Ahab broke two of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet, meaning you shall not want what others have and desire it. And then you shall not murder, which is pretty self-explanatory. Don't kill. And he broke both of those. Though indirectly killing Naboth, he killed Naboth. He consented to Naboth's death. Now, because of what Ahab did, God pronounces judgment. Looking at verses 17 through 24, it says, Then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go, to, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have done you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you, I will take away your posterity, I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. Because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Quite the judgment. So what we see is Elijah comes back on the scene with a message from God. This is the second time he confronts Ahab. God tells Elijah to go to Ahab in Samaria and tells him where he will be found in the vineyard of Naboth. Now there are two things that Elijah is to tell Ahab. The first thing is that have is have you murdered and have you taken possession? The second thing is where Naboth died, so shall you die. Now, the first thing he says is basically charging both Ahab and Jezebel with two crimes, theft and murder. Right? These are exceedingly wicked and brutal royals are, are, who are finally being judged after all their wickedness. Right? They're being judged. The second is a prophecy predicting the death of Ahab which is actually an unfulfilled prophecy because Ahab actually died in Samaria and not in Jezreel, where Naboth was killed. Now, this is primarily because he repented and humbled himself later in the chapter, but we'll get to that uh, before we finish this morning. Now, of course, when Elijah confronts Ahab, Ahab says that he is his enemy, but the thing is, he didn't know how wrong he was. 
Elijah was trying to get Ahab to see God. Jezebel was his true enemy. Jezebel was the puppet master behind the scenes leading the nation. Elijah, he also didn't find uh, Ahab because they were foes. No, he found him because God, because he had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and God told him where to go. He sold himself to do evil. Just like it says in Romans 7 verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. The judgment proclaimed is similar to all other judgments proclaimed to the kings of Israel. The dynasty of Omri shall fall just as Jeroboam's dynasty and just as Baasha's dynasty. The kings of Israel were to the point uh, were to point the nation to God, not to carnality, not to idol worship. And that is something that the kings never really learned. Every king of Israel besides a few good eggs, led the nation to sin, did evil in the sight of the Lord, followed after the ways of Jeroboam. Now lastly, Jezebel was not forgotten in this judgment, for she was to die by the walls of Jezreel. Dogs were to eat her. And of course, there is a more gruesome description of her death of how she fell off the wall but it's a horrible disgraceful death of a horrible person so in a way it's a good death for a bad person she was evil and wicked and she had every chance to turn but she hardened her heart now before we close this morning we see a comparison between the wickedness of ahab and his ultimate humbling in verse 25 through 29, which says, But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel his wife stirred him up. And he had behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that, Am- that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was, when Ahab heard those words, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house." So first, Ahab was exceedingly wicked and driven to do all his wicked and evilness evilness by his wife Jezebel. Instead of following God, he followed idols, and it led to the downfall of the nation, this same nation that will eventually be cast out of the promised land because of their sins. Now that won't be until much later. They still have some mercy. There is still some grace from God but his grace will run out and they will be cast into 70, 70 years of captivity for their evil, their, the evil and wicked ways in which they follow. But Ahab here, he heard the words of, that Elijah proclaimed and he finally did what God had been desiring the entire time. 
he humbled himself. He repented from his evil ways. You know, God is willing to welcome us with open arms. But we must be willing to cast aside the evil of the world. We must be willing to cast off the old man and put on the new man every single day. Right? We must humble ourselves before the Lord. But because, uh, and because Ahab did this, God showed him mercy and would not bring judgment on him, but on to his son. So what a difference we end here with Ahab going from being exceedingly wicked to humbling himself in the sight of the Lord and God shows him mercy. So in closing this morning, there's not much to say except that Ahab was exceedingly wicked. We saw, wicked. We saw it throughout the entire study. He made treaties with the enemy. He ignorantly let Jezebel kill Naboth, and then he took the land. All in all, judgment was proclaimed on him. But he repented from his evil ways and turned humbly to God. Do we show that same humility? Are we willing to turn from the world and turn to God? Right? To cast aside the world and follow God with our entire hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you just for this study through Ahab's life, seeing the change that happens in him. Lord, I just pray that as we go today, Lord, that, that we'll be willing to cast aside all the wickedness of the world, the evil of this world, and to set our hearts and our, our sight on you, Lord, to turn from the world, to humble ourselves and and follow you. Lord, help us as this world continually gets darker and darker, Lord, to live and be lights for you to the people around us. Lord, I just pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or concerns, we would love to get your feedback. You can message us on our Instagram or our Facebook page.